We'll be in Romans chapter 12 this evening. It might be here tonight and tomorrow night as we go through the chapter. This is a uh, this is a a passage. The the first two verses, a passage every Christian, every born again one. I think personal opinion. I think everybody needs to have this one memorized. Now I'll tell you by the grace of God. I do not remember memorizing Romans 12, 1 and 2. far as I know, it's always been in my memory bank. And that's a real blessing of growing up in a, in a good home. I've got some. I, I remember memorizing Psalm 1. I was maybe five, six years old. And I can remember standing under a pine tree and at Miss Kramer's house and working on that one. And at the end of that, if I got that memorized, I would get a tangerine milkshake at the dairy chef. And they only had tangerine milkshakes for a few weeks in the summer. <laughs> and I earned one by memorizing. I wasn't saved yet, but I'm glad I memorized that. And many, many times, I, I, I mean, countless times, I have no idea how many times, as I have meditated on God's Word, praying or walking or something, I've gone over Psalm 1. And you know what I find? I still haven't, I still haven't gone all the way to the bottom on that one. I haven't swum all the way to the deep end on that one. It's just deeper and deeper and deeper. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 is one of these passages. I don't remember ever memorizing this one. It's like I've always known it, but I'm sure I memorized it at some point. Do any of you know what I mean about that? Like, I don't remember learning Jesus loves me, this I know. Or amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And if you're like me with that, that's a real blessing. I'm so thankful for people that are saved later. We've had people in the last year saved. A lady that's about 60 years old that was saved and just loves God and serving God. Had a man a few years ago saved in his mid-60s. Another lady uh, three, four years ago in her mid-60s. And we recently had a 27-year-old young man saved. And I mean, has never known any of the Bible. <laughs> you know, nothing. And Chris Teal was not saved till he was about 18. Pastor Mitchell Sr., my dad, saved at 19. He was 19 years old looking at his mother-in-law and going, hey, listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave, and he had just memorized that and was so excited he had just finally memorized a verse of the Bible. But this is one of those ones that for a lot of us, we've had this memorized our whole lives. Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And tonight we might only go that far, but you notice the very next verse, the next passage begins with four. This connects yeah, the whole flow doesn't stop after verse 2. It's great that we've memorized Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's really, though, the next passage goes right along with it. Because Romans 12, 1 and 2 must not be understood as a one-time event, and like, now I did that. I presented myself. That's all done. But the practical outworking of it is seen in verses 3 to 21, and truly it's seen all the way through 16, verse 27. And I pray the Lord will help us to look at this. This is a, a message in which uh, my title is the outline. My outline is the title. So I'm going to give you the whole, I'll give you the whole outline right now. And it goes like this. Uh, and this is just, just lately. I don't know why, but the Lord has had me back in this lately and just studying and uh, verses I've known my whole life. A book I preached through about 25 years ago, preached through the book of Romans. But I'm back in Romans 12 for some reason, a lot of meditating and studying. And this is how the Lord's helped me to kind of just see the flow here. First, motivation. And I'm sure you can see the motivation by the mercies of God. Second, presentation. Because of, of the mercies of God, there needs to be a presentation. And then there must be a separation. So we have motivation, presentation, separation separation, and be not conformed to this world, <clears throat> and then transformation. <clears throat> Excuse me. You all fed me something yesterday, and I'm blaming you for that. I'm not going to blame myself eating a bunch of pork barbecue today. <laughs> it's got to be the church dinner. 
It's like with COVID, you know. I don't know if I should come to church because of COVID. You'll see me at Walmart and Target, and you'll see me at the baseball game and everywhere else. But th- down there at the church, COVID is just creeping all up and down the pews, right? So it's got to be the church dinner that's making me clear my throat. We said motivation, presentation, separation, transformation. And then in verses 3 down to 21, conversation. And really, it's even at the end of verse 2 as you're proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then in the conversation in 3 to 21, and now I'm going beyond the title, but I want you to write this down because you could even, if we don't get to it tonight, you could be looking at it maybe tomorrow in your devotions for a few minutes. And maybe you could meditate on this and think on it. You'll see in verses 3 to 21, you'll see grace. Grace to fit in the body. Grace to fit in the body. And then grace to be faithful in the ministry. The Lord has given you a gift and has gifted you in the church. And you need to fulfill what the Lord has given you to do. Paul said to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry that thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. We should never be content just doing the bare minimum. If we do all that we are told, what kind of servants are we? Unprofitable servants. We better be doing more than we're told. We better be doing, we we ought to be profitable. Grace to fit in the body, grace to fulfill the ministry, and then grace down in verses... 17, maybe we could say 16 to 21. Grace to fight the good fight. To fight the good fight. Lately I was teaching some men at Midcoast Baptist Church that uh, they uh, aspire to be preachers. Some of them really have a strong sense of of, uh, having that desire and that call. Some of them, they're not really sure. That kind of means you don't have it, but you know, they're... (laughs) They're not really sure, but they're, you know, they're there. They're thinking, it's good, though, because they say, you know, maybe I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called, maybe God isn't setting me to be a pastor and all. But I, I could be more useful in the church. I could learn to teach and preach as needed. That's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. And one thing I did, I, I did some kind of considering and looking in the Bible and then looking at um, just looking at life and looking at personal experience and looking at testimonies. I mean, like your pastors, we know all kinds of preachers, all kinds of pastors. And we have great examples, and there's bad examples and everything in between. And I, I wrote down that um, there's some real pitfalls I've seen for preachers. And also, I'd say just for men in general. I went over these the other night real quick. And I said one of them is finances. That's a real pitfall. Now, it does finances aren't evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And finances are not are not bad, and and we had a we had to understand our finances, take care of our finances, look well to them. The Bible teaches have a budget and all of that, but we can get in real trouble with finances. And then another pitfall, and and ladies, don't take this personally, but females, not because there's something intrinsically wrong with females, but we can just get out of bounds. We can get out of bounds with the eyes. And with the uh, with the desires and so forth, even those desires are not sinful in themselves, but out of bounds are sinful. Marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, right? Amen. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. But if we don't have real standards and real, you know, there ought to be real boundaries and there ought to be a great respect. Hey, Paul said, for instance, to Timothy, treat the older women like they're your mom and the younger women like they're your sister. There, there's a good standard right there. Isn't that a great standard? Older ones, like that's mom. Younger ones, like that's sisters. Well, there goes any kind of philandering and foolishness and adultery and all that. Food is another one. can be a real pitfall. There's nothing wrong intrinsically with food, but we can really get out of God's will with food. We can hurt ourselves. And then uh, fads is another one. Fads. And, and that could apply, I mean, that can apply to anybody. A lot of these could apply to anybody. I don't believe it's wrong to, to uh, fit in the culture, you know, even with clothing and all, as long as you're not violating your citizenship in heaven. I mean, certainly, I'm not going to walk around trying to dress like I'm, I'm a first century Christian, you know, wearing a robe and wearing a leathern girdle and so forth. I'm not going to do that. But fads are another story. And chasing fads, whether it's with styles, with, with the way we uh, present ourselves outwardly, but really in the church, chasing fads. And haven't we seen that? 
Just whatever, whatever the new fad is, try to get more people in the pew and more pennies in the plates. You know, and that's not God's will to go with fads. And then feelings is a big one. We get our feelings hurt. But I mean even preachers, pastors. We have feelings. Sometimes church members, sometimes you don't realize we do have feelings. And sometimes stuff is said to us and done to us. And it's a real battle to get over it. To put it out of our head. To go to sleep anyway. We're just like you is what I'm saying. There's things people say to you and do to you. And you can say all you want. Well, it doesn't matter. It's just words. It's just But stuff can really hurt. It really can. And it really hurts when our wives hurt. And when I say wives, I don't mean I have more than one wife. I just mean your wife, your wife, my wife. You know, just to be clear, this is on YouTube also. <laughs> there's, there's people out there, they watch things like this just to find something to you know, put on their little Twitter page. Well, go ahead and put it on there. I hope people find other things I preach and hear the gospel. But, the, uh, but it hurts to see our wife hurt. It hurts to see our children hurt. But that's, we're, we're all the same. But then here's the last one. And there's probably more we could add. Brother, Brother Byler could probably add more pitfalls than Brother Webb, and maybe others could. But fights. And by that I mean foolish fights, foolish fusses. Things that we can, church members and pastors and churches, we can get in some fights that are just, they're, honestly, they're just stupid. You look back later and you say, I went to war over that, and there was nothing to go to war over. It, was, it really was not a doctrinal issue. It was not a biblical, practical issue. It, and it really, I mean, I don't even know if it was a preference. It was just, I just got proud. I just wouldn't budge. And I got in a fight, and, and it's a foolish fight. And here in Romans 12, we see the, the uh, propensity or the, the temptation to get in fights with people, and we see we better fight the good fight. Paul said, I fought a good fight. There's a lot of fights we can get into that are horrible fights. They're not worth fighting. They're, they're just not. It's like the old proverb from India, the, car- the dogs bark, but the caravan marches on. Just let the dogs bark. Just let them bark. We don't need to answer every little mutt that's yipping at us. You know? We can just keep on going. And so we're going to look at the motivation, the presentation, the separation, and then the transformation and the conversation, and under the conversation, the grace to fit in the body, fulfill the ministry, and fight the good fight. Now somebody said, here's what preachers do. Preachers stand up and they tell you what they're going to say, then they say it, and then they tell you what they just told you. <laughs> and then they give an invitation. And that's, that's really true, isn't it? It actually is a great way of teaching. Now I never, I never set out to do things that way, but I, I grew up listening to sound preaching. And the truth is, that's what sound preachers did. We would have uh, Brother Dickerson preach in our church when I was a little kid. He would tell you what he was going to tell you, then he'd tell you, what he's, then he'd tell you, and then he'd tell you what he just told you. And Pastor Bob Mitchell, my dad, that's what he does. Pastor Gary Webb, that's what he does. He puts it right in the title so often, then he tells it to you. Then he says, here's what I just told you. And by the time you've heard that a few different ways, it's like Charles Spurgeon said, it's like a, it's like a man with a hammer, and he hits the nail a few times, and one more to clinch it, and then it's fastened. And Ecclesiastes says that the masters of assemblies, and, and I think that's an illusion even in the Old Testament. We can make a, a, a comparison there to the churches today. Masters are teachers, and the masters of the assemblies that know how to fasten nails. So I hope we get some real uh, nails fastened tonight. Don't we often say we need to get this nailed down? We, we need to get some things nailed down. Now, for, for some of you, you might already be thinking like, I mean, I know Romans 12, 1 and 2. I can quote it frontwards. I can quote it backwards, upside down. And I can, break all, I can break all the words down. I can parse it and everything else. But let's receive it anyway. <clears throat> let's receive it fresh. <clears throat> After all, the Lord said to Titus, These things I will that thou affirm. Do you know the next word? Constantly. That they might be careful to maintain, that's a great word. It's a great word, maintain good works. Uh, I got a great mower a few years ago. It, it has a Honda engine. That's a good engine. But you know, this spring, I got that mower out, and I put a new spark plug in it, and I put brand new gasoline in it, drained out the old, put in new, drained out the old oil, put in the new oil, and all that, because I don't care how good of a mower you have. If you don't maintain it, it won't be long, be total junk. 
If you can have a good Christian walk and you can just say, you know, I've got what I need, I'm all set, but if you don't maintain, you are going downhill. Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So that's the motivation. The motivation, the mercies of God. Well, so what are the mercies of God? Well, they're enumerated in chapters 1 through 11. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, you see that everybody's a sinner. You see that these nations are sinful nations. The world is sinful. The Jews are sinful. And you see, you and I are sinful. We're sinners. We came into this world sinners because we came from Adam and Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam sinned and died spiritually, we all sinned and died spiritually right then. So we were born dead in trespasses and sins. And all of that has been fleshed out, if you will. And literally, you know, flesh has been fleshed out. And so we have lived sinful lives. However, as you see, all have sinned. And you conclude we're all, uh, nobody's justified by the law all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Then you see forgiveness spelled out. So that's the mercy of God. Then you see in Romans 1 to 11, justification, whereby God regards us as if we have never sinned and never could have sinned as perfectly just and righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ because we are covered by Him. We're in His, just, we're in His justification. He is our justification. We are, if you will, robed in the righteousness of Jesus. Then you see reconciliation, where we are brought to God by the Lord Jesus Christ, reconciled to God because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And you see redemption. We've been, we're the purchased possession. We've been uh, purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect, precious, purging blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, redeemed. We should never get over the fact we're redeemed. And then you see, ultimately, glorification. You see, sanctification. You see, we've received the Holy Ghost. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. More than conquerors through Him that loved us. And it's all by the mercy and the grace of God. So in chapter 12, it's as if Paul is saying, because of all of these mercies we have just expounded upon, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. Now, mercy is God withholding what we absolutely deserve. We live in a country right now where it's an anthem. I just want what I deserve. Oh, really? I do not want what I deserve. Now, in some respects in business and in life and and so forth, sure, there's contracts and and I want what I signed up for and I want what I earned and whatnot. But in life, I don't want what I deserve. There's a lot of people that are making a lot of hay over, well, you know, life's unfair. People say they want equality. What they really want is equity, which is just a Marxist communist. It's just a, uh, it's just a wicked mentality behind that. The, the language we all know has been taken over and it's been twisted and, and misused. And, and the word equity has been uh, made to use, you know, really just everyone's got to have it e- even Stephen and all. But we don't want what we deserve by Christ who took all we deserve, God has withheld what we actually deserve, which is literally an eternity under the wrath of God, thrown out into God's furnace as a cursed thing forever and ever. And the Bible is very plain that the righteous enjoy eternal bliss just as long as the lost enjoy eternal damnation. One is just as long as the other. And so Jesus took all that we deserve when he took our sins on himself and became sin in our place. He who never did anything wrong suffered in our place like he only did wrong. That's how he suffered. I mentioned that yesterday morning. He became a curse in our place so that we would not have to be under the curse that was given there in the garden when Adam sinned. And we would not have to be cast out, cursed forever. Jesus more than once warned, if you do not repent and believe on him, ye shall die in your sins. To me, that's one of the most horrific phrases in all the Bible. Die in your sins. Can you imagine if, if I died right now and I've lived 48 years and I went into eternity with all my sins intact, still with me. I still have them. I'm still carrying them. They're all still on my account. And I go to eternity like that. 
That's awful. That's awful beyond any description. And by the way, if I died at 15 in my sins, it'd be awful beyond description. And when God was drawing me and the Lord was convicting me and I was saved before, just two days before I was 12, if I would have rejected the Lord and died on my 12th birthday to go with all those sins into eternity, there's no words about how awful that would be. That, that would be in, in itself a hell. But then because of that, to be cast into a literal burning hell, which I absolutely deserve. But because Jesus took the curse and bore the curse and became the curse, then I am not cast out as a cursed man forever. His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree. You see that? His own self, our sins, His own body on the tree. You ever look at that verse that way? His own self... His own body on the tree, and right there in the middle, our sins. Don't you thank the Lord that our sins were put on Him who His own self took them in His own body on the tree so that now our sin debt is canceled. Isn't that wonderful? That's the mercy of God. He took the cup of suffering in our place so we could have the cup of salvation, so we could have the uh, rivers of living water, so we could have the cup running over, so we could have the well springing up into everlasting life, and so we could be actually ourselves even by the, the Holy Ghost working through us, the Holy Ghost itself flowing out, flowing out of us, Himself flowing out of us as rivers of living water. Do you think much on the mercies of God? Do you ponder much on the mercies of God? If we read our Bibles and we learn the Bible and we learn Bible doctrine, but we do not meditate on it, we are falling short. We are falling woefully short of God's plan for us in Christian growth. We are to be meditating therein day and night. It should be a regular habit to meditate on the mercies of God. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is uh, Psalm 103. Are you familiar with Psalm 103? Psalm 103. I'll read just a couple of verses out of it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And here they are. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. You see that he crowns you. God crowns us with tender mercies. How about over in... uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Don't you love that verse over there? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not what consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank God for His mercies. Mercy from God who is rich in mercy. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to to His mercy. We didn't deserve it. It's not by works of righteousness. It's according to His mercy. He, He saved us. So we have motivation here to present our bodies. When you and I think we need motivated to do anything the Lord has has for us to do, whether it's, as the lady sang, starting off the day with Bible reading and prayer, whether it's trusting the Lord with some uh, thing that we've allowed ourselves to be tormented with in our mind. Whether it's some situation in the home, the church, at work, and, and we've got to face that and do what the Bible says about it. Maybe going out and witnessing to somebody, maybe tithing, maybe giving beyond the tithe. Whatever it is, when we need motivated to do what the Lord has for us to do, it's a good thing to start with considering the mercy of God. The mercy of God. I, I mean, that's where Paul started. And actually, you'll see Paul do it all through his epistles. He'll give commands, but so often before the commands, he builds up this great case of the mercy and the grace of God. Think about Ephesians. He spends Ephesians 1 and 2. He's just building all this about the great mercy and grace of God. And then you get into 3, and you have that prayer. And then chapter 4, he spells out, and here's what the church is, and here's how you behave as the Lord's church. And then it's just one practical duty after another. Peter does it in 1 Peter. Over and over, he's giving practical duties, but intertwined with them is that continual motivation 
Think of what Christ has done for you. Think of the salvation you have. Think of the precious blood of Christ. Be ye holy. And he bases it in 1 Peter chapter 1 on look at the precious blood of Christ that was shed for you. So over and over you have this motivation. Consider the mercy of God. The mercy of God motivates me. This motivates me. This right here motivates me. He knows me perfectly. He knows me better than, than you know me. He knows me better than the folk at Midcoast Baptist Church knows me. He knows me better than my parents. He knows me better than my children. He knows me better than my wife. And I'll give you one more. He knows me better than I know me. You think you know yourself. I heard an old fellow up in Maine. He was sitting in a diner. Old guy, he had bib overalls on. He had his John Deere hat on. He's sitting there with a bunch of other cranky old men early in the morning. And uh, he said to all of he said to them in the whole restaurant, he said, My wife went out with a bunch of the women in the woods the other night. And he said, They're camping out there for three nights to find themselves. He said, I told her Monday morning you better find yourself in the kitchen at that house. That's where you better find yourself. There's a lot of people working hard today to find themselves. Oh, who was it? Who was the uh, philosopher that said, "Above all, know thyself." I forget which one. One of them. You know, the truth is, you don't know yourself like you think you do. That's why we have to humble ourselves and say, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts," because we can convince ourselves of all kinds of things. I was talking with the other pastors yesterday, and I said, you know, the, it seems like the longer I'm, I'm in this matter of walking with the Lord and, and trying to grow in the grace of the Lord and help others and all, the more I'm realizing we human beings have the capacity to convince ourselves of anything and to persuade ourselves of anything. And this is where it really gets scary. We have the capacity to rationalize and justify anything. You say, no, not me. You do. You do. That's why we've got to stay in this Word. That's why we've got to draw an eye to God. That's why we have to be thinking much on the mercies of God. The old-time Baptists, the old preachers and churches, those folks that walked with God through awful times and tempests and tribulation, they put much emphasis on really considering the gospel. I think today... We've made a mistake when we've made the gospel is like that's for back when we got saved. Are you hearing me? Way back when I got saved, I needed the gospel, but I'm okay now. That's not how Paul wrote. He wrote to a church of the living God in Rome, and he hit them with gospel, gospel, gospel. And he even said when he got over there, he was going to preach the gospel to them. He said that in Romans 1. Not just lost people. He, he, in 1 Corinthians, gives gospel, gospel, gospel. 2 Corinthians and uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all the way through. <clears throat> gospel, 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 gospel. And he said in Ephesians 6, put on your feet the preparation of what? <clears throat> Looks to me like we need to be walking in the gospel every day of our lives. Stepping in the gospel. I, I know... The gospel needs to be preached to every creature. We need to preach it to lost folks. We also need to preach it to one another. And I've heard I've heard some some Baptists mock the idea of preaching the gospel to yourself. Well, you can mock me if you want to, but I preach the gospel to me. Now, I don't preach the gospel to me to be saved. But I bring the gospel up regularly. I mean, how can I not see it constantly when I read the Bible through, for one thing? And how can I not regularly remind myself of the gospel to motivate me? When I am tempted to be discouraged, when I am tempted to not want to do what God's given me to do, when I'm tempted in any type of laziness, any type of lust, any type of selfishness or greed, anything at all like that, it's a very good thing to say, hold on a second. I'm a blood-bought child of God. I am saved by the grace of God. Jesus Christ literally hung on a literal wooden cross in a miserable hot sun over there in the Mediterranean. And Jesus literally had the wrath of God poured out on him. In all honesty, I don't know why I'm choking so much tonight, but 
I have a, I told you yesterday, I mentioned that problem I have, but if I mention it, then my phone will hear it, and tomorrow I'll get all kinds of ads about the problem I have. <laughs> That's happened before. It's an esophageal thing, and it cranks up now and then. I don't want you to worry about it. It does this, and I gag a little bit, and I swallow, and I pa- sometimes I pass out, and they raise me from the dead. <laughs> Never gets that bad. <laughs> but now I'll just I kind of get winded, but it goes away. So please don't worry. All right. I have a mom. She can do all the worrying that I need. <laughs> don't get sidetracked by that. I regularly, when I'm tempted in any way, I need to remind myself, Jesus literally died for me, and he literally was raised again for me. And he's sitting on his throne in heaven, praying for me, and his blood is on the mercy seat. And why would I not motivate my own self by the mercies of God, preaching the gospel to myself? I believe it's a very good thing to preach the gospel to yourself. Now, if, if that's all you do, as some have erroneously taught, I know there's some rather famous evangelical authors, their mentality is anytime you're tempted or, or whatever, you're not, you're not pastoring like you should, you're not teaching your class like you should, just preach the gospel to yourself, everything will be great. That's not true. No, you believe what the truth is, you believe the gospel, you put on the truth, wrapping it around your loins, and I'll have everything held together by the truth, but then you actually have to do what the Lord's given you to do. It's submit to God, actually then resist the devil. It is submit to the truth, consider the gospel, and then gird up your loin, the loins of your mind and get going and serve God. So it's both. It's not just preach the gospel, but it's preaching the gospel to yourself, being motivated by the mercies of God, absolutely biblical. I hope tonight that you'll receive that and you'll think about that. You'll think, God's been so merciful to me. By the way, you know mercy is only for the guilty. If you're not guilty, there's no mercy for you. If you've never been saved and you're not saved because you think, I don't need saved, I'm not a bad person. There's Really, there's no mercy for you until you're guilty. You have to realize, I'm guilty, then you can have the mercy of God applied to you. Has anybody here been guilty? You thankful for the mercy of God, holding back what you deserve, and then His grace giving you what you could never earn or deserve. So I beseech you, brethren. Now this is for the brethren. This is not for lost people. This passage right here is for saved people. I beseech you. I implore you. There's an idea of begging. I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. So let's look at the presentation a few minutes. The word present is also translated yield over in chapter 6, verse 13. Yield yourselves unto God. There's an attitude of, let's, let's say that Danielle had this water, and she had gotten it back there for her. It was sitting there beside her. And I looked at her and said, Danielle, I need that water. And let's say then that she looks at me, and she has a struggle in her mind, in her heart, and she's thinking, but I really want the water. I got the water for me. I'm thirsty. I want it. But I say, Danielle, I'm your dad and I need that water. And maybe she thinks in her mind, well, that's my dad. And number one, he's going to get the water anyway, no matter what I do, right? So, But we'll remove that out of the equation. We'll just take that out of the equation. She thinks and says, that's my dad. He loves me. He's good to me. He's kind to me. He meets my needs. He takes care of me. And I'll, And she just says, well, sure, take it, dad. She yields it to me. She has it. <coughs> but now she yields it over to me and yields it up to me so your bodies present your bodies god fashioned the body for you god wrote it out in a book god formed you in your mother's womb god knowing everything about you entrusted you and entrusted me with a body in which to live it's a vehicle we get to live in until the day that it expires and he's saying present yield your body a living sacrifice unto God. Your body is what you live in. Your body is what you use. You are a soul with a body. Our culture thinks we're bodies with a soul. Body with a psyche. No, you're a soul with a body. You as a person have this temporary possession of a body. And you use it, you're a steward of your body. You are to present your body to God. That is your frame, the frame of your body, the systems of your body, the members of your body. Think of your eyes, your ears, your hands, etc. Your members, the frame, the systems, the members, the use of your body. 
the care of your body, all that the use of your body involves. Now, Paul warned about those whose God is their belly. They just, they live at an animal level. We don't want to live there, amen? Just like whatever this belly wants, whatever this body wants, we just do it. It just go along and do whatever. No thought about anything. Living like animals. We're at a point today where I feel like we ought to apologize to animals sometimes when we say people are living like animals. I've known animals that I think have better morals than some people. All that the body involves. We are not to worship the body. We're also not to waste the body. Amen. God gave us this to use for His glory. And it is to be a living sacrifice. Now I want you to think about the animals in the Old Testament economy. They were a sacrifice. They were a dead sacrifice. I mean, there just came a moment in time. They'd take that little lamb and that priest would take that knife and slit that throat. And that was it. That little animal's done. Now he's a sacrifice. He's gonna, his guts are going to be taken out. I know it's crude, but that's what they did. They t- there's a, there's a per- I think it's pertinence is the Bible word, right? The pertinence <laughs> came out. <laughs> Very, uh, so we'll use that uh, King James English. We're going we're gonna to pertinence that lamb. <laughs> and, and then the blood is spilled out and the entrails are gone. There's another nice word. And, and then it's roasted, it's presented up and all. And that's it. One time, it's gone. Part of it was consumed by the priests and, and their family. It's not you and me, it's a living sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. It is practical. And that's what we're going to see as we go down through the chapter. It's not a one-time, okay, I, I, am, I am saying, Lord, here I am, I give you my body. So now I say, okay, uh, it's October, is it the 3rd? So October the 3rd, 2022, I gave my body to the Lord, you know. I mean, after all, He saved me by His grace and mercy. So by the mercy of God, I, I was really stirred to give my body. And now I've done that, and now I guess I write that in my Bible, and I kind of cross that off the list, brother, and then I just kind of go on. And good, that's all done. I gave the Lord my body. No, it's a living sacrifice. I think we could be faithful to the Scriptures and tie it to deny yourself how often? Daily. And take up your cross and follow as a lifestyle. A follow me. It's a living sacrifice. So motivations, the mercies of God. Presentation. Now let's look at the separation. He says, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then, and be not conformed to this what? And be not conformed to this world. The word holy has to do with set apart, sanctified. You know the first time you see something in the Bible that God calls holy? It's a piece of ground. It's a piece of ground. God says this is separated. This is sanctified. It's, it's different. It's unique. So he said take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Holy ground. You know, you and I, when we've been saved, now the Holy Spirit possesses us. We literally have the Holy Spirit living in us. Do you believe that? My Bible says, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. You've been indwelt with the Spirit. You've been sealed with the Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. You have the earnest of the inheritance. That's the Holy Spirit. And so we're to be holy because of who lives in us, because of how we were purchased, because of who owns us, set apart for the glory of God. Now, God sanctifies us at the moment of salvation. We have positional sanctification. We're out of the kingdom of darkness and set in the kingdom of light. We're out of the world and we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're out of Adam and in Christ. We're out of uh, the, the, the state of being dead in trespasses and sins. Now we're alive in Christ Jesus. We're out, you know, out and in. I mean, just run with that yourself. There's a lot that we came out of and a lot we go into. That is practical sanctification. Practical, or excuse me, positional sanctification, positional holiness. But then we are to be practically involved in this matter of practical holiness. Because of where we are now positionally, we should be practicing in accordance with that. I said it yesterday. We need to be who we are, be what we are. And so he says, holy, set apart for the glory of God. Ye are bought with a price. What's the price? The blood of Christ. Therefore, glorify God, worship God, give glory unto God. It's like doxology unto God. 
in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, you know, there are Christians who are kind of of an Epicurean mindset, and, well, they call themselves Christians. And they say, well, now I'm saved, you know, I have liberty to do whatever I want, you know, just as a Christian, because I'm saved forevermore, so praise the Lord for liberty, you know, if it feels good, do it. Obviously, that's wicked. On the other hand, we get an overreaction, Brother Nathan, where people just, you know, they look in the mirror and they say, you know, I hate you. And, you know, they, oh, my, I'm just so corrupt and so filthy and rotten. Everything about my flesh is evil and wrong. And that's like another version of Gnosticism. You can actually glorify God in your body. Thank the Lord that you have a body to glorify God in. Thank the Lord for that. It shouldn't be that, you know, go, go into some, like some of the ancient monks where we're whipping ourselves and we're living up in a tree and not taking a bath for three years and stuff because we're trying to say that how much we despise the flesh. Colossians, Paul warns about that, doesn't he? Doesn't he warn about that? And so it's a, let's, let's get this right. Let's get the right biblical perspective on this. Use your body for the Lord. That means be holy with your body. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'll give you a real practical one if you look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Can you go to 2 Timothy 2 with me? Real practical. 2 Timothy 2 verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be... Notice that being verb, so this is a lifestyle we're going for, a lifestyle, present tense, being verb, be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Okay, we just jumped right into the middle of a, of a, of a big context, didn't we? We did. So consider the context. Timothy in verse 14 is to be speaking truth, putting the church in remembrance of the truth. And he's to be studying the truth in verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is a pastor here. He's to be speaking the truth, studying the truth. And he's then to be shunning the false, but shun profane and vain babblings. Now the philosophers of this world, Kirk, they'll sound like some really intelligent, genius men. They're bringing great ideas. And some of them do have great ideas in as much as they are scriptural. They get, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? It's also wrong a whole ton of times, you know. But some of these, and we have modern philosophers, very popular among men, among young men and all, and they have a lot of ideas they throw out, a lot of, you know, here's life help and, and whatnot. But you got to be careful. you got to be careful because any time... Any of this is deviating from the Bible. It's nothing. I don't care how wise they sound. I don't care how many alphabets they have going on behind their names. It's nothing but a bunch of babbling if it contradicts Scripture. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, these guys, they sound so smart and they sound so wise and they even infiltrate the churches. Really, they're just babblers. Shun this. Shun profane and vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker. It's like rust eating away at you. And then he names two of them, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. You know the word Hymenaeus relates to wedding, and Philetus relates to love. You imagine two teachers, one of them is named, means wedding, and the other one means love. I mean, these are the most just sweetest, loving, kind men. Oh, they're so charismatic and decent, and they're so soft-spoken and everything. Just beautiful fellas. But the truth is, their word will lead us to the canker. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is... But they're so loving, Paul. They're the kindest men we've ever had around the church. Even their very names. No, concerning the truth they've erred. They're in error. They have erred. They say the resurrection is past already, and the result of that is they're overthrowing the faith of some. You better be careful. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Timothy's got to speak the truth, study the truth, shun the false, stand on the shore, stand on the shore foundation. Here's the seal of the sure foundation. The Lord knoweth them that are His, then look at it, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now remember Romans 12? Holy, acceptable unto God. Be not conformed to the world. 
But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver. What would you do with those in a great house in the first century in the Roman Empire? You'd use those to drink and eat from. You'd serve fine meals with those, vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth. And some do honor, like those nice vessels, and some to dishonor. I'm just going to be blunt. That's what you would toilet in, dishonorable vessels. And, and what you would toilet in, you don't, you don't want anyone getting into that vessel. You don't want any of that coming out of the vessel. I mean, is that right? I mean, sometimes Paul's a pretty crude fellow, honestly. There's some things he wrote. It's like, wow. But I think Paul was dealing with people where we live, and he's saying, you know, get the point, Timothy. Get the point. These fellows I just named Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're vessels of dishonor. They sound great. They seem so loving and so kind. They're vessels of dishonor. Are you getting the picture? You don't want what they have in them. If a man therefore purge himself from these, purge yourself from the influence of Hymenaeus and Philetus. And what's in them that would come out of them, that would influence you? False doctrine. Paul said he counted all of his ideas and all his philosophies and all he invested in his life in before salvation. There came a point he counted it as done. He's not being gross and disgusting. He's just telling, he said, I looked at the whole, and I said, it's like a pile of manure. Let it go. I don't need it. And these ones that want to influence you to another doctrine, another Christ, another spirit, another philosophy, purge yourself from them. So what do you do? Don't give them your ear. Because what's in them you don't want flowing into your heart. And then you'll be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, holy, and meet or fit for the master's use, and then you're prepared unto every good work. So back to Romans 12. Back to Romans 12. Separation. There's a motivation. There's a presentation. There's a separation. Holy, acceptable unto God. You, you turn off the wicked influence. He says, which is your reasonable service? This is just reasonable. It's rational. This is not, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is not presenting, this is super Christianity right here now. This is like only the select few. We're talking about the special operators up in here. I mean, this is like, these people are way out there. I mean, they're, they're the extremists. No, this is reasonable service. Just reasonable. It's rational. Think about the animals. Remember I said the animals, they were a sacrifice. They're killed. They're a dead sacrifice. That's it. Think about the animals also. There was no rationing. Uh, there was no uh, rationalizing going on in their minds. There was no reasoning going on. There wasn't some little lamb sitting there looking at all the other lambs and going, what a day. When I think of how our great creator has let me walk upon this earth these last several months and how good he has been to me to give me air and to give me water and to give me good grass to eat and now to think I can be sacrificed in his worship. I am blessed beyond all measure. There was no little lamb thinking that way. There was no... Uh, there was no reasoning going on. They did not reason. They did not sanctify themselves. They didn't present themselves. Someone came along with strong hands and said, you're coming with me, and took them up there and slit their throat. You and me, we actually consider. And we say, how could I say anything but yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way? When I think of the cross that you bore, when I think of the shame you endured, when I think that you're ascended on high, far above all principalities and powers, and you know me, and you love me, and you've been a good master unto me, yes, I want to put my ear to the door. I want to be your happy servant forever. I am presenting myself, my everything, my body, my all. I want to give myself to you. It's only the reasonable thing to do, to give myself and to keep giving myself and to really live that out in its fullness. And you see the word and... And that connects. Don't disconnect. Present your bodies from be not conformed. We're still looking at the separation. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. By the way, if, it's not, if you're not holy, it's not acceptable. If our worship, if our lifestyle, if our character, 
if our, our heart attitude, if our words, if our be, demeanor and all of it, if it's not holy. And this book defines what's holy. If it's not holy, it's not acceptable to God. Remember Cain? He offered something up. God said, I do not accept it. Holy, acceptable unto God. And then he says, and be not conformed. So the and ties the, these two verses together. Be not conformed. Now, be is a being verb. The be not conformed has to do with a practice of life where to have a holy lifestyle whereby in our lifestyle as a pattern of life, as a character of life, we live a life that's not conformed to the world. We have a new course. We have a new control. We have a new conversation. Remember over in Ephesians, and I'll turn there and just read it for you. Ephesians 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. See the course? See the control? The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It was the old uh, Presbyterian. I'm no Presbyterian, but this guy said some good things. Ian Paisley. He said, our course was the world, our control was the devil, our conversation was the flesh. And now our course is Christ, our control is Christ, our conversation is Christ. Our course is Christ who said, I am the way. Our control is Christ who said, I am the truth. Our conversation is Christ who said, I am the life. And so we are not of the world, we don't live of the world, we're not conformed to the world. But before we go home, let's cover that just for a couple of minutes. Not conformed to the world. This is not to say that you take a list of everything, a comprehensive, can you imagine a comprehensive list of everything the world says? <laughs> well, you'd never finish writing that list, would you? This isn't saying you think of everything the world says, everything the world does, and everything the world thinks, and what we'll do, Brother Andrew, so we're not conformed, we'll just do the total opposite of everything lost people do. Well, that's not going to work. That's not good. It can't be what it means. The world is wrong at the root level. At the root level. And as a system, the world is wrong. It does not mean that everything that the world does is intentionally evil or sinful. For instance, all over the world right now, there are reprobates. There are murderers and whoremongers and sodomites and abortionists and liars and on and on that are doing what I'm doing right here. They're drinking water. They say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, sometimes you have to use ridiculous to make your point. Paul actually did that, remember? Pointed it out the other night. He said, no man can, by the Holy Spirit, call Jesus accursed. Never, well, yeah, duh. This idea is not whatever the world does, we can't do it. Do the opposite. The world uses calendars, so I'm not using calendars. The world has clocks and watches, so I'm not paying any attention to time. The world has water and electricity, so we'll not have that. Well, what we'll do, we'll dig a well, and that way we won't be connected to their water lines. And we definitely will not have a line going to the power grid, because that'll have us yoked up with the world. Now, does that sound familiar? You grew up in Pennsylvania. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? A mentality. Whatever the world has, we'll do the opposite. That way we'll be holy, because it says be not conformed. No, the idea is this. The world has a form. The world has a philosophy. The world has a motive, and the Antichrist world system, all of that, don't be conformed to that. Don't be conformed to that. You see, the world is not holy. It's not separated to God. Where, where is the world? Its location, the Bible says, is in wickedness. The whole world lieth in wickedness. Now, Brother Webb, is it fair to say that the idea there in that Greek phrase has to do with like, it's like sitting in the lap of the devil. Is that, did I read that somewhere correctly? It's like the world is just sitting in the devil's lap. That's where the world lieth. He's called the prince of the world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. Don't be a worldling. Don't be in the philosophy of the world. Don't think like the world and act like the world. Just don't be conformed to the world. These young ladies that are sitting over here. The world has an absolute form that you're supposed to fit in. Danielle, at your age, and all of you at your ages, and, and newlyweds, 
and young mothers and young men. There's a world out there that says you got to look like us. You got to be like us. You got to think like us. Oh, you're a you're a young white male. Then this is how you feel. No, I'm a born again, blood bought, Holy Spirit and dwelt Baptist by the grace of God, and I'm going to be conformed to this book, transformed by the renewing of my mind, not conformed to the world. Well, boys will be boys. We're Christian men. Well, young women are just going to be silly and, and chasing fads. No, no, no. Christian young ladies. Well, you know, you're a dad now, so you got... No, no, no. Bible-believing men. I don't look at the world's dads, so i got to be like them. i got to fit that form. Well, this church now, it's, it's the year 2022. You've got to get with the program. Oh, yeah, we do have to get with the program. It's called right here. This is the program. We're going to do the will of God. Be not conformed. The world is not holy. We are called to be holy. This is very practical. This isn't, again, it's not to say whatever the world does. Well, the world votes, so we don't vote. We're not going to go to the polls in November and vote, because that's what the world does. We're not going to know anything about the news, because the world doesn't. No, the difference with us and the world, we're going to know the news, and we're going to understand what to do. That pleases God. We're not going to be ruled and governed by the news. We're not going to be so influenced by the media that our thinking is done for us by a box that sits in our house with little people jabbering on it. Amen? We're going to prove all things, hold fast that which is good. But this gets very practical. We'll close with this in Proverbs 4 because anytime you preach like this, any, any thinking person at some point you know, might consider... Isn't that really the heart? And I believe the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Someone told me that years ago, sitting around a campfire somewhere. He said, I think the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I said, that is really good. I actually went home and studied that out and preached a whole series on that. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4. Absolutely. So many of these issues that we look at that are outside issues, they're really spiritual issues. But, but the Bible clearly shows what's in the heart comes out. And what's on the outside is revealing the heart. So often, it's revealing the heart. And so it's not an either or, it's a both and. And I want to show you that real quick in chapter 4 of the book of Proverbs. Another verse I don't remember memorizing, but I thank God that I did at some point. Keep, verse 23, keep thy heart with all what? Diligence, for out of it are the... All the streams of life come out of that. I mean, the way we, our attitude, the way we talk, the way we think, on and on. Out of it are the issues of life. And so, keep thy heart. Protect thy heart. Garrison thy heart. Militant line of protection around thy heart. Preserve thy heart. Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. But then keep reading. How do you keep thy heart? Verse 24, put away from thee a forward mouth. He's not saying, you know, take your own mouth. He's saying... Anyone that has a forward mouth, you don't give them your ear. Very similar to what we saw over in 2 Timothy. Put away a forward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. You know what I would say right here? You remember being a little kid in Sunday school, junior church, and you saying, Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful little ears what you hear. So we got to be wise. I've had people say to me, well, I wouldn't have Spotify. That's what the world has. Well, the world also has AM and FM radio. Nice thing. This is just personal opinion. I like Spotify. I can pay a few dollars a month, and I can, I can listen to all kinds of great Christian music on Spotify. Stuff where I used to have to walk around with a stack of CDs that high. This is a blessing. This is nice. There's a lot of filth on Spotify. Well, it's a heart issue, Brother Bobby. Sure it is. And I want to keep my heart with all diligence, so there's a whole lot on Spotify I don't listen to. I mean, the overwhelming majority of what's on Spotify I don't listen to. This morning, I turned the radio on. I thought the station I was going to was the one right here, a conservative talk show host for a few minutes. And instead, this rap came on. And brothers and sisters, I've heard very little of that in my life. But even once again today, that few seconds I heard, it was raw filth. Absolute filth. And if I listen to that, 
I would have filth in my mind, and pretty soon I'd have filth in my heart, and I might start thinking and, and walking and talking in a filthy way. Be careful what you listen to. Then, and then you keep reading. It says, let thine eyes look right on, verse 25, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. That's right. Well, it's a heart issue. Oh, look at something on the television. You show, that's a heart issue. Well, sure it is. Sure, but don't let it come into your heart. The heart's got enough trouble on its own. You don't need to feed it. Be careful what you're looking at. Let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Let me give you something that will help you. Have a purpose in life. Let your ways be established. There's a way of thinking, a way of behaving, a way of going, a way of doing. Have a schedule. Oh, some people say, I'd hate to live a scheduled life. I feel like I'd have no liberty. You'll be surprised how much more freedom you have when you schedule your life, when you schedule your money, when you schedule your time. Instead of being blown around by, it just keeps happening. Things keep happening. You actually have a purpose in life. If you ever go on that internet, you better be sure that your ways are established. The internet came out when I was about 22, 23. That's when we finally got internet. Yeah, we learned real quick, you better have a reason. You just go surfing, there's a whole lot of dirty, dangerous water on the Internet. Just scrolling. There are some Twitter feeds I look at for news and all. Personally, I don't do the just what's trending. Because so many times when I just looked at what's trending, it ended up just being filth. You know what I'm saying? And I'd say, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have seen that. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have even read those words. Horrible stuff. So one day I said, Lord, you know what? I'm I'm learning my lesson here. I'm not looking at trending stuff. I'm just going to have a purpose. If I'm following a news feed, following some conservative commentator or whatever, there's a purpose in it. If you're going to have Facebook, have it established. Have a purpose. Don't just float around. Brother, you know it's true. Now you even just want to look at the weather, and immediately on the weather app, a video starts playing. And if you're not careful, 45 minutes goes by watching one amazing weather event, shark attack, rhinoceros attack, somebody tried to rescue a baby whatever out of Yellowstone, and then it ate them, you know. And it's and you keep watching, and you say, well, I'm not watching bad stuff. No, I'm just wasting time because I didn't have an established way. So I have to, I, I'm not like you folks. You all are so strong and disciplined. You don't have to do this. But I have to say, okay, I'm going to check the weather app, and I'm going to see what the outlook is for tomorrow and the next few days. I'm not watching any of those videos or anything because if I start doing that, all of a sudden I don't realize 20 minutes went by and I didn't do what I needed to do. So I'm not like some of you. I'm not a super disciplined person, so I have to really discipline myself. I go on, if I go on YouTube to learn how to do all the work on my lawnmower, Here's the, here's the sad fact. I went on YouTube, and to clean the carburetor of my lawnmower, I watched an old lady. She's called Granny Lawnmower or something or other, and she'll teach you how to clean the carburetor on your lawnmower. So, yeah, I clean my own carburetor on my lawnmower with Grandma's help. <laughs> she tells me how to do it. But I go on there, and I say, I'm looking for this to learn how to do this. I'm not going on YouTube just to mess around, just to look and see whatever comes up. Because if I don't have my ways established... And it's all over life. Just hopping in a truck and driving around for a few hours of no purpose. An idle mind is the devil's playground. Everybody remember that old proverb? It's not in the Bible, but there's a lot of truth in that. Let thy ways be established. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. That's just a little bit about the practical. Be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. It's not that everything, the, you know, well, the world likes donuts, so I'm not eating donuts. Can you imagine that? Though, brother, I've never been to rock and roll concerts, but I know people that have, and they said those guys use microphones. I'm surprised all the microphones in here. That's foolishness. But the system of the world, the philosophy of the world, the mentality of the world, that system, don't be conform to it let's not have our lives directed by this world tomorrow night we'll continue we'll see transformation and conversation your pastors called this meeting a revival meeting you know revival is when you're revived you're refreshed you're 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 stirred again you're stirring up the gift that is in you and pondering romans 12 together and going through this
I believe that absolutely if we'll humble ourselves and say, Lord, open this up to me and teach me, give me everything I need here, perfect anything that's lacking in my faith, I'm positive the result will be, we'll be restored, we'll be stirred, we'll be rekindled. As we think on the mercies of God, as we present ourselves, maybe you say, I've already presented myself. That's great. I have too. And I did again today. Studying through this and praying over this, I knelt down on my knees and I said, Lord, I just want to make it real clear again that I belong to you. And I, I want to serve you with the time, the energy, the money, the body that I have. And maybe you ought to do that tonight. I'm not telling you you have to, but maybe you ought to. And certainly look in your life and let the Holy Spirit examine you. And if you're being conformed to the world, get back to where you ought to be in whatever area it is. Be not conformed to the world. Lord, bless the preaching of the Word of God, we pray. I thank you we've had this time. Lord, you've, even as I've preached, you've been stirring in my heart and helping me. And I thank you. And I want to live for you. And I trust everybody here tonight wants to. In Jesus' name, give us grace, we pray. Amen.